Hello and welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast series. This series is being developed to assist you to master your health and well-being. Health is too hard when you try to go it alone, and we know that together we are healthier. Today on the show, we'll be discussing how to better understand and manage depression and anxiety with Laurel Zemanik from Mental Health Victoria. Laurel has an extensive background in case management in community and clinical mental health services. She's a senior trainer at Mental Health Victoria and uses her lived experience of mental health in peer support, consultancy and consumer research and training. Mental Health Victoria is the peak body for mental health service providers in the state. Their vision is to ensure that those living with mental illnesses can access effective and appropriate treatment along with community support. Laurel Zemnick. Welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's start with an overview of anxiety and depression. Can you explain these conditions for us? From my perspective, depression and anxiety are both medical conditions. Depression is characterised by a persistent lowering of mood. Some of the more common symptoms, I guess, are that the person might be sad, down or, or miserable, and not just periodically, but over a period of time. They might be tired all the time. There might be changes in their eating and their weight, whether that be gain or loss, and a sense of feeling overwhelmed. So it's really about that that lowering of mood and, and a person not feeling great. Whereas anxiety is a disorder that's characterized by persistent, excessive and and unrealistic worry. And it can also include panic attacks, phobias, obsessive compulsive disorders. Um, And it can manifest quite physically as well as psychologically and behaviorally. How common is mental illness, in particular anxiety and depression? Yeah, it's a a really good question. So um, 45% of Australians will experience some kind of mental illness over their lifetime. But it's quite interesting that anxiety conditions are actually more prevalent in Australia than depression. So about 1 million people in any year experience depression, while there's over 2 million that have anxiety. Who is at risk of experiencing anxiety or depression? Uh, So pretty much anybody. So it, it certainly doesn't discriminate. It covers all ages, all race and religions. Um, it, it just doesn't discriminate at all. So anybody at any time um, could be, I guess, subject to, to either anxiety or depression. So with anxiety, what happens in your body when you experience anxiety? Yeah, great question. So it can actually manifest really physically. So people can have panic attacks and that can be categorised by racing heart, quick breathing, feeling tense, wound up or edgy. It actually feels a lot like you're having a heart attack. And we actually see a lot of people every year presenting to the emergency department thinking they're having heart attacks when in fact it's a panic attack or an anxiety attack. Are there common behaviours that can keep anxiety and depression going? guess with depression, the person probably isn't going out as much or has lost interest in usual hobbies and has withdrawn from friends and family. So I guess maintaining those behaviours could actually make it worse. So getting people connected with their community, getting them out and about is obviously really key to helping a person to deal with depression. In terms of anxiety, we, we see a lot of avoidance, um, especially around certain situations, which may cause the anxiety or the pain panic attack. So um, that, that avoidance can actually increase the anxiety. So trying to, to get somebody to you know, deal with it and be able to realise what their triggers are and actually get them linked in with community and therapeutic supports is really important. Can anxiety cause or contribute to other illnesses? 
So we, we know that there's a, a really big mind-body connection. So we know that, you know, people who are um, who have long-term illnesses can actually have depression and anxiety, and it's the same. So we see a lot of psychosomatic symptoms with depression and anxiety, so back problems, aches, pains, those sorts of things. Um, quite often you can't find the, the root cause of them. So I, I would say there's a definite connection which comes first, it's a bit chicken and egg, if you like, but definitely um, people who are, are stressed or who have anxiety and depression do tend to have physical illnesses as well and vice versa. So for someone experiencing anxiety or depression, what are your top tips? I guess seek help early. So as soon as you kind of notice that there's something going on for you, go and see your GP. We know that sort of 87 to 90% of people can actually be treated by their GP for anxiety and depression. And it's a really good first port of call for, for any kind of mental health issues. So I would get help early, talk to someone about it. And maybe do some research on on what's happening for you. Try and understand your own condition. I think the really important thing is to understand that anxiety and depression are very unique to the individual. So while we can say the symptoms are this and the symptoms are that, everybody will experience it very differently. So how they actually recover and overcome and live with anxiety and depression is going to be very unique to the individual as well. So I think getting to know what your symptoms are, getting to know what your triggers are, finding ways to to live with those can be be really really valuable so are there any signs to indicate whether someone has anxiety or depression it's really hard to tell again because we we have that uniqueness involved in in every different person who who may have been diagnosed but generally in depression people may stop going out anymore they may have lost interest in their usual hobbies They start withdrawing from friends and family, aren't talking. They might change their eating habits, um, might have some difficulty concentrating, and they may even start relying on alcohol or sedatives. Um, It's not in every situation, obviously, but it can certainly um, play a part. People with anxiety, you might see avoidance of certain situations. So it's usually around, you know, that excessive fear or worry. They might maybe catastrophizing situations that they normally wouldn't. There may be some obsessive thinking. So I guess it's something that people who are pretty close to the person might pick up, but people do also become really good at hiding those symptoms over time as well. Now, from the other perspective, as a support person for someone with these conditions, what are some key actions they can take to assist? Yeah, look, I think the most important thing is to talk to the person and actually let them know that you're there to listen. Maybe not try and fix the situation, but just be there as a support person. Um, ask them what's happening for them. Ask them what they need from you. Because again, we, we can look at all the textbooks and say, oh, the person will probably be experiencing this, this and this. But as I said before, it's very different for the individual. So ask them what's happening for them. Ask them how they're experiencing their condition and ask them what they need from you. Um, you know, do the things that are helpful for them. Help them to identify what makes their symptoms worse. Help them to identify what makes their symptoms better um, and offer support around those things rather than just assuming that, you know, if I do this, it will help. Now, can you tell us a, a little bit more about triggers? Yeah, sure. So triggers are, are generally an external event or circumstance that produces an uncomfortable emotional response, so such as anxiety or it could worsen depression symptoms. Um, 
and and responding to triggers is really normal. So some of the common um, triggers, some examples are anniversary dates of loss or trauma, um, frightening new events, feeling overwhelmed or having too much to do, so having a really big to-do list. Um, Family friction or relationship issues can be a big one as well. Um, Some people find that spending too much time alone or being judged, criticised, teased, put down um, can can be triggers for them. Physical illness, of course, because we know of that mind and body connection. Um, Having financial problems or getting a big bill um, and exposure to things that make you feel uncomfortable. It can be really challenging to identify um, exactly what our triggers are, but the process of, of getting to know and understand them can really help us to heal. Um, and they can learn, um, they can teach us how to cope better in response. So identifying your triggers is the first step to to being able to heal from them and actually manage them. So being able to, to sit down and actually think, what are my triggers? It can be a really valuable exercise and thinking about what are the things that make my symptoms worse? It might even be helpful to ask other people to help you, you realise what some of these things are because they may be able to identify when this happens, your symptoms become worse. So, um, yeah, a really important part of, of understanding mental illness and, and depression and anxiety for yourself is being able to identify what those triggers are. And what are grounding strategies? Grounding strategies are really helpful in lots of different situations, especially when you find yourself becoming overwhelmed or distracted, especially with distressing memories or thoughts or feelings. And, and we know that you know depression and anxiety is, is about thoughts and feelings um, and behaviours. So it's kind of a distraction technique and it, it helps us to focus outward on the external world rather than inward towards the self. So if we get ourselves, if we find ourselves getting caught up in strong emotions like anxiety or anger, we can actually employ these grounding strategies or grounding techniques to, to bring us back into the moment and try and focus on something rather than what's happening. So there's, um, it can be really helpful to have a selection of grounding exercises. There's lots of different ones that you can do and it can be done anytime, anywhere, and no one even has to know really. So you can you can do simple things like playing a categories game with yourself, you know, trying to think of, many, as, of as many things in a category as you can. Reading something and saying each word to yourself really slowly. That's something as simple as running cool or warm water over your hands. Um, some people have actually been to um, train themselves that they have have a grounding object in their pocket and they can touch it whenever they feel triggered and it will calm them down or bring them back into the present. And that can be a really valuable skill to learn. Um, So something that I really like to do is I, I learned the phonetic alphabet years ago so um, if I'm stressed when I'm driving I actually look at the number plates in front of me and use the phonetic alphabet to actually read what the number plate is and it distracts me brings me back into the present and allows me to concentrate back on my driving rather than those intrusive thoughts that might be happening. Now sleep very important Mm -hmm. and with anxiety and depression can become a problem do you have some tips to switch off the brain so that you can get to sleep more easily? Yeah, there's a few things that we can do. So our environment when we uh, go to sleep is really important. So making sure that the space is a bit cooler rather than warmer because we all like to snuggle up into bed with the doona on us rather than going to bed on a 30-degree balmy night when it's, you know, stinking hot and nobody can sleep. So making that space cooler, um, being really comfortable, that can help us to sleep. 
Um, trying meditation because it can quiet the mind before we go to sleep or taking time to wind down before bed and, and having a routine. Some of the other things that keep us awake when we have depression or anxiety is that constant ruminating thoughts of, oh my God, I've got this to do, I've got that to do, you know, all of these things that, that come to mind. So actually sitting down and writing a to-do list to get those things out of your mind and onto paper can be really helpful. The other thing is if you're not sleeping, don't don't lie in bed awake. If you can't sleep after 20 minutes or so, get up and do something relaxing. Read a book, have a cup of tea, um, take take a warm bath. Um, the other things I, I guess are around avoiding screens and overstimulation just before bed, avoiding caffeine and tobacco because they're stimulants and trying to get a little bit of exercise during the day because that can make you that little bit more tired and, and help you to sleep a little bit better. And there's, there's plenty of information out there on the web as to different things that you can do there's different apps that you can try and it's just a google search away and when is the right time for people to seek professional help uh, as soon as they notice something i i would say you know as soon as you're noticing that things aren't the way that they used to be or that you're starting to feel um, any of those symptoms or if somebody else notices and, and sort of points out to you that, hey, you know, is, is that thing's not going well, your GP is, is a great resource. They know exactly where to refer you. And as I said before, you know, a huge amount of people actually see their GP and don't need other follow-up treatment. But a GP can do a mental health care plan. They can refer you to a psychologist and, and psychological therapies are really important for anxiety and depression. So I would say as soon as you notice something, check in with your GP or talk to a friend or a family member and get them to help you go to the GP. Now, how can we care for our overall well-being with regards to anxiety and depression? Yeah, I think just maintaining good physical and mental health is is really important. So obviously eating well, sleeping well and getting physical activity. And, and that's sometimes harder than you, you might imagine. So there's a strong link between what we eat and how we feel. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but I certainly, you know, if I'm not feeling that great, I tend to reach for the chocolate and the chips. It's actually at these times that we should be eating more healthy foods that, that fuel our body rather than those foods that actually get us to, to eat more and more. So eating well can can be really important. And And I'm not talking about you know, being a full-on health addict and only eating veggies and fruit. I'm talking about sort of making better choices. So, you know, having a good balanced diet with less of the bad things. So less junk foods and soft drinks and and more fruit and veg and water, obviously, but still enjoying those other things as well. And, and I think, you know, that that can help us to, to maintain that physical well-being because, again, of that mind-body connection. Obviously, sleeping well, getting a good night's sleep because we know that sleep is one of the first things to be affected when a person has depression or anxiety. So it can be really good to implement some of those strategies we talked about before and really get a good night's sleep. Get into a really good routine. You know, go to bed at the same time each night. Try and wake up at the same time each day. Maybe have one cheat day where you have a sleep in on the weekend or something like that. And of course, physical activity. If you're feeling down um, and finding things difficult, physical activity may be the last thing you feel like doing. But even small things like walking around the block, taking the dog out for a walk, um, you know, just little things like that that are, you know, even doing the housework is a form of physical 
activity and they can all help you to concentrate and even help you to look and feel better. So people really need to find an activity that they enjoy and, and try to do it regularly. The other things we can do is reduce um, drug and alcohol intake, set realistic goals, try and be socially active and get involved because we know that connection with other people, especially people who are in similar situations to us, can be really valuable as well. And the other thing I would say was get informed. So understand more about what you're going through. There's heaps of information out there about depression and anxiety. There's pamphlets, there's articles, there's fact sheets, there's podcasts, or even talking to other people who've been through something really similar can can help you to kind of deal with what you're going through and, and help you to understand yourself a little bit better. And I think I think that's probably the most important thing is understanding what's happening for you. Now, in terms of those resources, do you have any that you could suggest for our listeners to go for more information and support? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a range of really good organisations out there. My favourite, and although it's actually aimed at young people, sort of 12 to 25, Headspace has some great web resources. And the reason they're so great is because they're aimed at those younger people. They're actually written really simply and quite fun. And they're so easy to understand. There's lots of really good cool pictures. So I always kind of recommend that people go there for information. The other place that's got some great fact sheets is Beyond Blue, and they also have a number of helplines available as well. So um, they're always worth a, a look. St Australia, again, have some great fact sheets. And the Black Dog Institute, which specifically deals with depression, can link you in with support services and that sort of thing. So highly, highly recommend um, giving them a look. Lorel Zemanik. Thank you very much for joining us today on the GMHBA Healthier Together series. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a new dawn in health insurance because GMHBA are partnering with AIA Vitality to encourage us to be healthier by rewarding healthy choices. Join GMHBA V Plus with AIA Vitality to earn real rewards for health checks, exercising, even eating well. Changing how you think about health insurance for life. GMHBA and AIA Vitality, healthier together.